Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And this month we're talking about Hollow Knight, developed and published by Team Cherry, who was released uh, for Windows, Mac, Linux in 2017, and Switch, PlayStation 4, and Xbox in 2018. Uh, I personally played it on the Switch, and I gotta say, I really dig this Metroidvania bug Dark Souls thingy. Yeah, me too. I also played it on Switch. Josh, what about you? I was on PC for this, but I could definitely see it being at home on the Switch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, honestly, for me, if something's available on the Switch, I'm just going to buy it there at this point. I like having the ability to take it on a plane, a train, an automobile. That's nice, but to me, I'm kind of trying to keep all my library on Steam as much as possible. Consoles are come and go, but Steam lasts forever. Until they... (laughs) Until they sell to Microsoft. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, at any rate, uh, this game originally came from a Kickstarter, right? Yeah, there was a Kickstarter uh, crowdfunding campaign back in 2014, and they raised over $50,000 for it, which that's a good chunk of change to start developing a game. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I don't think I'd quit my job for $50,000, but like... You know, if you're if your heart's set on something and you're ready to <clears throat> go out there and make it, uh, these guys took a big leap, and I think it was really cool. Um, most of this game was made by two guys, really, Ari Gibson and William Pellin, the two directors. Yep, and I think it all started, too. Uh, I believe they used to just do, like, 48-hour game jams where they lock people in a room for 48 hours, see what you come up with in that amount of time. And uh, this game started out as a game called Hungry Night, I believe, where this, where our character from Hollow Knight just had to run around killing things and eat every 10 seconds. I think they just fell in love with the character and just kept developing it after that. Yeah, I never played the um, Hungry Knight myself, but I know it came out of Ludum Dare, which is one of the more venerable game jams out there, one of the larger ones. So, hey, nothing better than uh, seeing success come from some small efforts like that. Things kind of snowballed. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's interesting to me to see how many little sort of gene lines continued through Hungry Night, through their other games and into Hollow Knight eventually. It's just in it's fun to see them just sort of reusing these ideas, refining them and then finally landing on something that they thought was special and really building it out. Mm -hmm. All right, Clint, I think this game was your choice to play for us this month. Why don't you tell us why you chose this one? Yeah, uh, so I've actually, I did play this on PC quite a while ago, because like you, if it's on Steam, I'm going to buy it, because mm-hmm. it'll still be there, you know, when the console goes away, but... That and uh, 200 other games we haven't played. And uh, it's probably on sale for half price. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I actually spent more to get it again on Switch, but I got to tell you, this uh, totally different experience on Switch. On PC, I kind of lost interest pretty quick. We'll probably talk about this later, but the beginning area is probably its weakest area. And being a Metroidvania, you start with almost nothing, no powers. You just feel really powerless, and it was really boring, and I, I lost interest and moved on. Like I said, 500 other games in the library. But with the pick-up-and-go for the Switch, I don't know. I just got hooked this time. I really liked it, and I wanted to see what see what all the magic was about. People seem to love this game, and I just wanted to dive back in and see see what it was all about. Yeah, that's definitely fair. It, it made its fair share of Game of the Year lists in 2018, oddly enough, right? Having come out in 2017, I feel like it actually caught fire in 2018, which, you know, makes sense for when you came back to it. 
Yeah, I think it was. Everybody seemed to really enjoy it on the Switch release. People really hooked onto it. Yeah, you make an interesting point about like the <laughs> the starting off underpowered thing. Like this is very clearly a, a Metroidvania style game. You know, I'm sure most folks have heard that term before, but this is basically you know a subgenre of action game. Um, Metroid and Castlevania, you know, the portmanteau there basically shows the lineage that this is actually coming from. And it's generally, you know, large interconnected world. You get access to parts and overcome obstacles based on acquiring items or moves. You're able to gain new abilities and you can go back through the places you've been already to unlock new areas, take new paths, um, explore things in a different way. Yeah, I definitely say those gaining of new movement abilities is maybe one of the hallmarks of a Metroidvania for me. Yeah, it's it, it's it's hard to maintain interest at the beginning. Like seriously, I don't. I, th- I think when you finally get the double jump or the dash or th- things like that, you finally just feel like okay, this is how I'm supposed to be able to move the whole time. It just gets way more interesting. And some games do a better job of keeping you interested in those early hours than others. And I feel like this one kind of missed that mark a little bit, but it totally made up for it later. So what this game does not do that a lot of Metroid, other Metroidvanias do is start you off at a high power level and then level you back down so you see what you could eventually become and then eventually ideally surpass. Like This game sort of skipped that step, which, as you said, Clint, sort of makes you wonder at the beginning, like, is this going to get any better? Am I going to eventually get that double jump that I so desperately need? <laughs> yeah, because they didn't make it obvious that that's what you needed. You just felt like, like man, this character can't do anything (laughs) yeah this game definitely seemed to um it it did not telegraph the move set that you would eventually get as well as other games which i think is both elegant but also tests the player's patience you know i will disagree here this is one of the things i liked about the game is when I sit down and I play a Metroidvania, I know I'm going to get a double jump sometime. I know I'm <laughs> going to get this ability or that ability. And, you know, I'm even making notes, uh, putting little markers down in the map, being like, oh, if I had a double jump here, then I could do this. Or if I had this ability here. Um, and sometimes it was obvious, like, you have to go forward. Uh, like uh, This is only a, a gate that opens when you get to the other side of the doorway. Um, other times it's like, oh, here's where you need a double jump. But there were a few occasions in this game where it was not obvious what ability you would need to get past this point. And that to me was an interesting part when that did happen. For sure, later on in the game, once you start unlocking things, and especially if you see the bosses, some of the bosses, you kind of see them doing things you're like, oh, I bet you I can do something like that later. Or maybe when I finally take them on, I'll get that. And then I start thinking like, oh yeah, if I could do that, then I could get back to that other area. So I, I see what you're saying. It was just, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not meaning to say it was boring. It was like the first hour or two was hard to get through. And after that, you see the light and you're like, yeah, I could be into this. It doesn't hurt, help that this game is kind of hard. Oh, really hard actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's do a quick plot summary just so people know story-wise what's going on uh so in this game you're a small bug in a bug world and there's a town at top it's ruined it's desolated and there's the ruins of an ancient kingdom an ancient civilization beneath you that you go down and you explore uh and you go through these tunnels you go through the different areas and worlds and you uncover the mysteries and the treasure that await you down there yeah, it felt kind of soulsy to me, actually. It, it, they all have seem to have that kind of uh, common theme, the 
the old desolate world that's been destroyed and you have to figure out what happened and yeah it's definitely it has a way of telling its story indirectly that to me really harkens back to dark souls it's i'm not sure if they you know if you're going to steal steal from the best and they seem to steal their storytelling mode mostly from that it's you know environmental storytelling things you find in the environment offhand comments from npcs that don't specifically say go here kill boss but rather you know hint at heading in a certain direction yeah this game tells a lot of the story through hints and reading the lines there's not people saying hey I'm telling the story here so much, maybe a, a few places, but in general, um, I think the whole fallen kingdom um, is kind of a token, like, or it's a indicative of the Souls genre as well, besides the punishing difficulty. Yeah, so I, I think that actually the, char- the character with the absolute most um, lines in the game was Zote, and he was just a grumpy old man that was complaining at you for being there the whole time. <laughs> That's true. A lot of his stuff, like, didn't really end up contributing much to the plot but a lot of good flavor there one of the things that's indicative of the souls genre or souls like genre for me it's not just the punishing difficulty but also the um fallen kingdom aspect of it you're exploring a vast civilization where things used to be better either more technologically advanced or more civilized or something uh it used to be better and something happened where it's no longer that good anymore and kind of um, exploring that fall of the civilization uh something dark has happened and you're finding out why that's a very common uh souls thing for me yeah it's a souls thing it's it's like the the mystery aspect the archaeology aspect of it like that's kind of what it's the what happened here question like answering that question what happened here to me is sometimes one of the more interesting things about, you know, going through a game. And um, when people aren't there to tell you what happened, you're just going to have to go and find and look around for yourself. Yeah, I, I got to say, this is turning into co- kind of a trope for me. Like every, mainly because there's never a real payoff. So Souls does it, Bloodborne did it, Hollow Knight did it. Although Hollow Knight made no no bones about the fact that story didn't matter here. Actually, they they wrote the entire game did all the areas, and then at the end, they said, okay, well, this is what we've got. Let's uh, retcon some story for this. And then they all wrote it, the story for it at the end. I would say for having come up with that at the end, I did really enjoy the theme, the uh, environment for this a lot. Strong environmental storytelling, as Brian said. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's about as well as a story written after the fact could possibly have worked. Like in our previous discussion of Undertale, we talked about how the game was sort of made for the music. In this one, the story was made for the game. And yet I still feel like the story was not necessarily holding this game back in any way. So it goes to show these guys did a pretty damn good job. It was just a nice little bow they put on top. They already had something great. And they just give it that something a little bit extra, but it's not ever what the game was all about. And that's fine. I guess it's worth talking about how you make your way around in this world and primarily the aura of mystery that um, surrounds you delving into the depths. And I think that's embraced by the mapping system that this game has. Yeah, the mapping system in this game, you go through 
you get to a new room and it doesn't show up as mapped. It doesn't show you don't know where you are. You kind of got to keep track of it yourself until you talk to this um, one guy, Cornifer. Cornifer. Yeah, you talk to him. You can buy a map off of him and it gives you kind of like a basic outline of the area as well as where the important parts are. You don't have a you are here symbol unless you spend a charm on that which you only have so many charm slots to equip so to actually tell where you are in the game the whole time you have to um make yourself a little mechanically weaker otherwise you have to just kind of keep track of it in your head so i definitely did that though i found it to be almost impossible to navigate around without that so i just i I took the hit and got the compass the whole time how about you guys So what this manifested in for me is basically having an exploration set and a boss set. Hmm. I would swap out my charms every time I was either up against a boss or uh, out exploring a new area. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't do the compass thing. I did the collect the money automatically thing because my build was all about speed, getting from one place to another quick. Oh, yeah, man. My, uh, my standard exploration was get the money, get the compass, all the speed things. That mm-hmm. was just me running around, getting money in the, the hollow nest. And then when I got to a boss, it was like, all right, got to buff up that nail, got to get extra soul recovered, all that good stuff. See, you guys were confident. I was dying all the time and losing that money, so I didn't care so much about <laughs> getting it. <laughs> I guess that's another thing we should talk about, too, that, that kind of maps back to the, the whole souls aspect. You lose all your stuff every time you die and you have to go back and recover basically your soul where, where you died and if you don't get back to there before you die again it's gone yeah we talked a little bit about the charms and i think this is like one of the ways that the game makes you more powerful as you go it's got this system um, of combat where you know you have your little nail and you can improve the way your character moves interacts shoots his sort of soul magic missile which is an early ability you get and other things by equipping charms in slots that you acquire over the course of the game and let me tell you getting another one of those charm slots is like chef kiss good i think one of the really interesting things about it too would be the ways that they interacted with each other if you equip a certain charm then there's maybe four or five other charms out there that they don't just have kind of synergistic effect where it's like, oh, these two things stack, but they will actually change the animations and change the abilities around based on what the um, the combinations of charms that you have. So there are some, towards the end of the game especially, you, could, you would just mess around with different charm combinations to see what happened. Mm-hmm. There's uh, lots of really cool synergistic charm combinations in this game, and the game gives you like a surprising amount of verbs with your nail out of the out of the go. The as nail is. being like, the sword that your bug wields. Yeah. yeah, you have a downward slash. You have like you know left, right, up, down slashes. It's it's sort of robust for like just a you know a general sword slash thing. Yep. I agree. And every time I get stuck on a boss, I think the way I got past it was just trying to find a new charm combination that happened to play well with that strategy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the combat a little bit. Uh, this combat combat, and the movement for this game, I thought were very tight. Excellent platforming, um, excellent combat as well, and the two kind of uh, interleave with each other. You'd be either, whether you're doing um, combat on platforms or whether you're doing combat as platforms uh you can kind of do your downward slash to pogo stick off of other people god i love that move that was really (laughs) hard on the switch controller 
Yeah, I love that move so much, though. Like, any game with a downward slash just, like, harkens back to the old uh, Link's Awakening, or not Link's, uh, Zelda 2, basically. And that, like, I can't get enough of it. It's such a fun move. It really, like, helps build up the tension of a battle when you're just sort of pogoing from unsafe spot to unsafe spot and killing enemies along the way. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. As hard as this game was, the controls were super tight, and never, ever did I feel like the reason I died was because the system was broke. Like, it always... Movement and, and action always felt real, really good. Uh, if I make one suggestion, you have that crystal dash where you hold down the button, L button and you um, then you can do a dash across the wall or across the level, um, float, flying horizontally through the air. If I could cancel that after I already charged it up, that would have been better because sometimes I did that and I'm like, oh shit, this is worthless now. <laughs> Yeah, it it's a very like high commitment move, and I think it works better as traversal than combat. But yeah, I don't um, think I ever used that for combat. No, and and some of the platforming puzzles using it, there were some areas where you had some very tight tolerances. You know, another thing this game did with its combat that I thought was pretty unique and interesting was the whole mechanics around soul, basically being your ability to focus your soul to heal, but then it's also a high power projectile. If you're, you know, pressing the offensive, you can Mm. use it for offense rather than defense. Having to use your limited resources, choosing between healing, which takes time and it's hard. You got to figure out when you can do it in a boss battle. Um, Otherwise, they just run the floor with you while you're trying to heal in a corner uh but you have to choose between whether spending it offensively or defensively yeah actually i think my biggest build uh, for bosses was one that put a shell around you when you were healing and made it go quicker because otherwise yeah you were just getting destroyed i actually did those two combined with the when you get hit uh hurt the enemy the thorns one. Oh yeah so i, I yeah, use that a so. lot because i was bad <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna get hit might as well make something out of it now I got the uh, I know the quick focus one you're talking about the quick heal one that one works well but I kind of like the um, the one that lets you move around while you are healing that one even if you just move a little bit to the left or the right you could like dodge boss attacks sometimes that way and you could more safely heal yeah that's a good one it it this game like it's weird how the mechanics can basically be completely alien depending on those charms you have. Like you could basically be playing a different game than someone else based on how differently your build was loaded out. Yeah. Especially the strategies for the the harder bosses too. Like you could approach that like 20 different ways. And there's builds entirely around like soul, heavy soul usage, which I totally ignored because I was always so focused on dealing with soul (laughs) because I'm bad. (laughs) I never did really much offensive spell casting. If you look at um, speedruns of this game, they are constantly using soul on the offensive. Hmm. Yeah. I believe it. I believe so it. So my buddy that actually beat this and did the full 112% or whatever you can get on this game now that it has all the, the add-ons, he said he, he did a mostly spellcaster build, and that sounded crazy to me. I'm like, I don't even know how how you would do that. <laughs> I'm too get busy getting beaten up. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of getting beaten up, let's talk about the bosses. Oh, boy. I thought they were there was an excellent variety 
and even though there were some bosses who were kind of almost one-trick ponies, like um, some of the ba- more maybe more mini bosses are a good word for it, but they'd only have one or two attacks, one or two patterns to get through. Even just learning that, there were enough of these more mini bosses that those the more simpler bosses there were still fun battles for me you figure out the pattern and you work around that like the large corpse flies and things like that yeah so actually me and brian are playing through sakura right now so we know what good bosses and bad bosses are and and (laughs) that game is super hard and so is this game but i think this game did it a lot better because i get really frustrated when i hit that wall with uh with boss battles but the way the way that they did it in this game was Okay, cool, you hit this boss. I oh, can't do that right now, don't worry. There's plenty of other stuff to do for a little while. Maybe you go do that, and then you come back later. And like, Actually, I'm well more prepared to do this now. You know what I will say, too? Uh, speaking of the unfairness or difficulty, one of the things I liked a lot about this game compared to Dark Souls was that when you died, you only lost money. Like, it wasn't like you lost experience or power or anything like that, and that was a lot less frustrating then. Yeah, it's punishing, but not too punishing. Yeah, agreed. The death mechanics, you know, basically when you die, as you said, you lose all your money, but you also have a shade that remains there, and you can go back and get that. I thought the shade mechanic was actually pretty cool, because if if you were pretty invested in the amount of cash you had and you knew you were saving up for something, you could make it a point to go kill your shade, get that back, and... um, it's also worth mentioning that you have to deal with having two-thirds of your soul until you kill your shade again, which is a rough handicap. Yeah, I think that was the worst. Especially going back into a boss. Yeah. If you, did, if you didn't manage to get it or you tried to bypass it, you were going in at a disadvantage anyway. But they did let you beat, the, uh, beat your shade and regain that soul before you went into the boss room again, which... Ah, there was one exception that killed me every time. He's some stupid spider. I wanted to walk away, but I couldn't... I couldn't leave all that. I had like a ton of Geo that I'd, I'd saved up. So I just had to keep going back till I got him. Otherwise, I'd have lost everything. There is a mechanic. You have you can get these things called rotten eggs. And then from the safety of Dirt Mouth, the stout in town, they can summon your soul, your shade back to you and you can beat it there and get the money back. Hmm, I didn't uh, know that. That's interesting. I unlocked that after I beat the game, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so I found out just That's a little right. too late. A little too late. All right, well, what, bosses are a big part of this game, though, I think. Like, um, those exciting boss, boss battles, the exciting combats. Uh, what were some of your favorite bosses? What were some of your least favorite ones? Uh, I like Dung Defender for multiple reasons. Yes. Uh, I, pl- I played a lot of Mega Man back in the day, and he felt like a super Mega Man game. Also, he's just a giant dung beetle flinging poop at you. Like, <laughs> he's he was hilarious. Yeah, he was funny the whole time. Yeah, he was a little annoying, but I don't know. It was a cool throwback for me. I really liked that one. What about you, Brian? That was actually the one I was going to say, but my uh, my second favorite was Hornet, uh, just because I think all of the Hornet fights were, it felt like a true duel, like you were on equal footing. Uh, you know, she made a couple special moves, but basically it was just two sort of, clearly the two sort of main protagonists of the, the game, you know, meeting up, going back and forth. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the plot section, but yeah. Hornet's a very good character, and she's getting her own sequel to this game shortly, and so it's only fitting that her boss fight kicked ass, too. Excellent. Can't wait. What I would you, say um, Dung Defender was also one of my favorite uh, favorite bosses. There was one of the warrior ghosts, too, that kind of um, had a similar, similar thing in that um, with both the Dung Defender and this, I think it was Mon Moth, maybe, uh, they would bounce around on the screen and you could 
throw them back if you hit them with a sword at the right time. Like, they would bounce away from you. You could protect yourself by, you know, this is like Legend of Zelda, where Ganon shoots the fireball at you, and you have to play tennis with him a couple of times before you hit him. Uh, so I like the timing kind of thing like that. And it was almost more like a... With those guys, it was almost more like a platforming as combat over there. Uh, besides just you do platforming or you do combat, it was a good mix. Uh, sorry, mix slash mesh of those. A mix of the two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> New word. Yeah, it was. And uh, weirdly enough, like one of those... Uh, one of those platforming as boss fight things actually made it into my least favorite bosses as well. The jellyfish fight uh, was just, didn't love that one. Oh, no, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that one. I didn't have a whole bunch of problem with that. So what's the one boss that just kicked your ass all day long? Because I know you guys had one. I did, for sure. Mine was Watcher Nights as you're going up the tower. Clint, we're the same person. <laughs> I I had to go back and play like the rest of the game to get something that I could beat them with. That was actually the similar case for me. Those guys are just hard. They're like the the, the multiple the multiplicity of them was what made it so difficult. I think. This was yeah, I think the only it. boss yeah. fight in the game where there are two bosses or two enemies going after you at once. So you have to keep track of both of them. Um, I actually think it would have been an easier fight if the arena wasn't so big as it was, because they would oftentimes go out of the screen and then you have to kind of guess what they're doing and even if they did something like um there's two kind of major attacks they do from distance one is they roll across the floor the other one is they bounce twice through the sky but there wasn't any kind of differentiation between which attack is coming if they did like a sound effect saying i'm bouncing now then you can keep track of that but if you can't then you just kind of got to guess what the other guy is going to be doing and hope that you can work with that yeah, and when they both do the opposite thing, it's insane. But speaking of sound effects, the one boss that did that really well was Hornet. She, If you just listened, you could always tell what was going to happen. The, these bosses were super hard, but other than the Watcher Knights, I felt like they were all super fair. Like there was a tell, there was something that you could do to translate what they were going to do next and find a way to deal with it. Or there was some special charm combination that you could find if you worked hard enough that, that would get you through it, no problem. And I, this game definitely borrows from more of the best with that aspect, too. Like, a good challenging boss fight has, you know, tells that are clearly communicated, but yet still challenging to account for. And the way that they mix those up and throw them at you is what makes the boss fights in this game, Dark Souls, Super Metroid, Mega Man, all of these things with good boss fights succeed. I agree. It's got to be a challenge, but it also has to feel like you can surpass it. And when you do, you feel like a badass. Mm -hmm. You are the experience points. What's making you get past this fight is not grinding or leveling up. It's you absorbing what it is that you need to do to beat this boss and then executing on it. Yep. AKA watching enough YouTube videos so you figure out how that <laughs> nine-year-old killed that thing that you can't. That's fair. That's one way to do it.
so I guess let's talk about what actually happens in this game. Um, you know, there's, uh, as we mentioned, story doesn't exactly take the forefront in this game, but that doesn't mean there's no sort of progression in what's happening in the Hollow Nest while you're in there. There are the um, mysteries that you are unraveling. That's right. So, you know, you arrive in Dirtmouth, and um, you're you're actually treated to a pretty great tutorial area. Honestly, I think this, this game's tutorial area kind of kicks ass. It sort of uh, it communicates all the basic things about focus, jumping, and brings you into the, the Dirtmouth area, which, one, great name, and two, has a lot of fun, lovable bug NPCs that sort of set up your quest for you. Mm-hmm. It's a good introduction to the world. Yeah, weirdly enough, you can actually go back there later, and there's a whole lot more to it if you have other skills and stuff going along with it. Yeah, I kind of liked that it was the starting town, but it was still something that you would backtrack through and learn how to deal with. Like, um, you would have new abilities and be able to explore even the starting town, the different areas of there. I like that it felt more connected than just like a here's a separate area and then here's the real game yeah yeah it was more of a hub and spoke than it initially led on because there are stuff to the east and west of Dirtmouth for you to explore later not, not just, just straight down. down which is cool i also like that this game does start you off at the top and you go deeper and deeper um it's not a straight left to right or something like that yeah you're a bug burrowing down and the deeper you go the deeper the mysteries get which was kind of the, and, and the darker it gets, too, and the more dangerous. Actually, that was another thing. The, the, the farther down you go, the worse everything gets, actually. Yeah, very true. Um, especially when you get to the very, very bottom and there's a huge corpse pile. Oh, uh, yeah, in the abyss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty scary stuff. But, um, you know, this game does get dark, but, you know, initially it's a little more tame. You enter the crossroads. Uh, Clint, as you mentioned, it's a little, it's kind of a, pretty stock standard area but the cool thing to me about this area is that you meet all of your sort of main npcs you meet conifer for the first time you meet quirrell the wandering warrior zote um, zote actually zote's in the green path but oh, okay. very yeah that's the next next area you enter <laughs> plus is that area. zote's a butthead we don't care about zote <laughs> <laughs> he's very preachy yeah. <laughs> I, I like this sound effect that an old man sound effect. <laughs> Get off my porch. <laughs> he's, he's an old man that lectures you. I mean, come on. Yeah. Who's What's not the love? Um, but I do... One other cool thing about the Crossroads is it actually has the area that the end game is housed in, right? The yep. Black Egg. Yeah, they mm-hmm. let you see it right from the front. And that is cool about games like this that, that progress and you slowly get piece by piece better as, as they show you at the right at the beginning like this is where you're going to end up and slowly slowly you start unlocking pieces and you just know that you're going to come right back there and, and uh, end where you began it's kind of cool like brian said earlier a lot of uh, the metroidvania games you start off super powered and you lose those powers right at the beginning of the game you got to regain them slowly that's one way that game designers can kind of demonstrate progression to you um at the beginning of the game you're very powerful and then you're not powerful and you're like well i can get back to there another way the uh, standard trope for game design is to uh go back through an area you've been through before like force a player to go back through an area you've been through before and um, and you kick the shit out of everything. Yeah, you can, you have new abilities, you have new whatever, you're stronger, and what was once challenging is no longer challenging. I thought one of the interesting things I did with this game was towards the end of the game, um, 
right before you beat the final boss, or even a little bit before that, right when you're, um, uh, there's three, three uh, bosses you have to beat before you can fight the final boss. As soon as you fight the first one and beat them, then the first area gets harder. So, oh yeah, you've already harder. backed through this, or backtracked through this first area already because it's a Metroidvania. You do backtrack and you go through. You use your new abilities on paths you weren't able to get through before uh but instead of just keeping it standard how it has been in the past they make it more dangerous there's new enemies there and i thought i thought it was really interesting that they did that i thought it worked well for this game too it put a little more pressure on you you know it's like oh things are going to pot now yeah, it kept it feeling dangerous, which I think was a big important thing because you start feeling like a badass after you've taken on a couple of these bosses, and then it's like, oh, you thought that was it? Sorry, nah, we got yeah, some more it, for you. It shows the world is progressing too. It it gives you a sense of that things are happening in this world that it, you know not directly related to you. The world is happening around you, mm-hmm. which is neat. Cough, cough, Skyrim. Uh, cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about this before. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, and. You know, we we mentioned that the next spot you end up in where you find Zode is the green path, but that's also where you meet Hornet, who actually, I think, gives you most of the sort of driving forward the plot hints that you end up with in this game. She's the one that directs you towards the next main area, the City of Tears, which, for my money, is probably the coolest area in this game. I liked it a lot, yeah. Yeah, I think if I had to pick one right now, I'd go City of Tears. And what a great name, too. Fallen Civilization. Sad City. <laughs> I liked it a lot, but I like the deep down the best because you're a bug. You're burrowing. Like some of those, I forget the names of some of those areas. Deep Nest? Yeah. Uh, what that was ancient ancient burial grounds or something? The, there's the ancient basin. I'm looking at it now. Ancient Actually, one, one area I missed, the only one was the hive with all the bees. Which I missed that too. Last night when I was trying to finish up the game at four in the morning, I said, I can probably <laughs> skip this one. Yeah, I think that's that's probably smart. Four in the morning. Night shift life. Hey, you did it. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. credits, credits. Um, but yeah, you know, as you're making your way through all those areas, you're getting, you know, the Mantis Village, which has a Mantis fight, which I really enjoyed. Mantis, you get their yeah, claw. that was a cool one. You get your, their claw ability that lets you climb on walls too, which is probably like one super Mega Man X and mm-hmm. two awesome ability. That's where I felt like the game started to open up for me. Actually, was right after that. Well, that that area for the first time is so hard. Knowing how to deal with those guys later on, they were still hard but passable. But yeah, you felt awesome when you got to the end. You could finally you're like, oh wait, I know like thirty places I could get to right now that I couldn't get to before. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, once you do run into Hornet in the City of Tears, and she sort of tells you that, all right, you got to go to the Kingdom's Edge, something's waiting for you there. And that's where you find out about the Dreamers. And that sort of sets up, like, the critical path to the end of the game, part one, for you. You know, it basically says there's these three Dreamers. They are guarding that black egg you saw back at the beginning of the game. You take them out, you unlock that egg, you can go in there and attempt to take out the Hollow Knight, who is keeping this great evil, the Radiance, at bay. Mm-hmm. There's this infection that's been uh, driving all the bugs of the old civilization mad, and that's why everyone's attacking you. And uh, the old king decided that he would um, try to keep it contained within this Hollow Knight, like this vessel that would just 
uh, sit there and not have any thoughts or anything that could be influenced by the radiance, this evil infection kind of thing. And um, the infection, surprise, surprise, starts leaking out and getting out past the Hollow Knight. Uh, so this kind of goes into the ending a little bit. But once you get to, um, once you beat the Hollow Knight, it turns out that on the basic ending, the most, the easiest one to get to, that you become the new vessel. You are, you defeat the Hollow Knight. Now you are the one who takes on the great evil, the infection, the sickness, and you just replace the Hollow Knight. Yep, I feel like this is a pretty common theme with these kind of games too. Again, not having a happy ending. Yeah, correct. Well, we may talk about Sekiro someday, but I'm on the same path right now. Yeah. Basically, when you say the easy ending, too, that just feels hurtful when you say it because it was so hard to get there, <laughs> even there. But yeah, basically, you do all this, just get to the end. It's like, oh, by the way, you're just you're the problem now. It's like, oh. congratulations. You ah. did the bare fucking minimum. <laughs> yeah. You did it. You did nothing. You already felt like a piece of shit. Now I feel like a bigger one. You did nothing and nothing has changed. robust ending of the game involves you you know taking advantage of this ability you acquired along the way in the form of the dream nail which allows you to see into the uh thoughts of the other bugs in the hollow nest and sort of see what is you know one that they're being driven mad that they're being influenced by the radius radiance excuse me and two it sort of gives you the insight into taking out some additional sort of proponents of the radiance and its influence over the realm allowing you to you know gain additional power so that you can go into the source of the radiance and take it out once and for all you can get the better ending which is where you use the stream nail more often uh but for me one of the things i didn't like about the ending was they didn't really telegraph that there's a better one there's no nothing they really tell you or for me nothing i picked up on that said okay if you use this dream nail ability if you fight more warrior ghosts if you um plant more dream trees if you read more thoughts da 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 da, da you use this ability more fully throughout the game um which is more than you would use in a kind of like standard playthrough you have to go back and explore and get all these things I totally agree with you. I think the gating on the real ending of this game, quote unquote, is kind of BS. Well, I mean, to be honest, they didn't tell you how to do anything the entire game. And again, that's why I think I lost interest the first time was because there was no explanation. Why am I here? What am I doing? I can't actually do anything. Okay, I'm done. There's other things to do. Towards the beginning, there's just the exploration. And eventually you find like, oh, there's this thing. There's this boss. I'm supposed to fight the final boss, the Hollow Knight. And... You go through the game thinking, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, eventually, it comes to a point where it's less about exploring, especially once you've explored all the areas I've accepted. Um, and it's more like I'm preparing for the final battle now. And they don't really tell you there's, there's more to it. It seems like the, if you're the sort of person who goes for the 100% completion, then you'll realize there's a thing going on here. But it's not like they tell you yeah. in advance that there is more to the story. So how much how much completion did you guys end up getting? 
you know? I think I was at about 72 or 74. Oh, wow. You did a lot. I did 65. What about you? Yes, 63. I uh, I cleared the bar the lowest possible way. <laughs> yeah, I, well, actually, I, I, from what I understand, you can beat this game at about 40% completion. So huh. you, you can get to the end, get an ending, and realize, oh, man, I must have missed a lot. And to be fair, 100% doesn't even do it anymore. Now that they added all the DLC, it's like 112 or something like that to beat. Well, that's the Ev- thing, though. Like, everything. Uh, if you beat it at 40% or whatever, are you thinking, oh, this ending sucks, there must be a better one? I wasn't. Like, uh, I knew there was one because I read through the wikis and different things like that, but nothing the game told me told me there was a better th- possibility. I'd have to dig into that. Like, I don't know that I remember well enough or read closely enough to know if there was enough hints there or not, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I think when you get a bad ending like that, you know that there's something better. Is it a bad ending? I mean, it's a dark game. There's a dark ending, yes, but it fits with a theme. So Undertale, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's always the good ending, man. It's out there somewhere. Yep. You just gotta look hard enough. Yep. It really made me think about difficulty in games, first off, because, you know, obviously we've been talking about Dark Souls up through now, and, like, what, what was the purpose of making this game as hard as it was? Do we think it was mechanically unfair too dense or do we think it was effective in saying like you're basically trying to have hope in the face of these overwhelming odds i think it was just bare um, it depends on what day you got me but <laughs> i i know when they play tested this that was one of the things that they were most worried about and uh, a lot of people said that it was too difficult but even more said don't lower it like we like that it's this difficult so they kept it that way but the one thing that they did do was uh, the bosses that were just insane. Like the really hard ones, they made sure that they weren't required to beat the game. So most of the... Watcher Knights excluded, which was required to beat the game. I think all the extra bosses, the ones that really got me, were ones I didn't have to do, but ones I could do if I wanted to get a better ability. I appreciated this game let you get, you know, to an ending with relatively little in the ways of, like, truly ball-busting hardness. Yeah. when you get to like the white palace and getting the the true ending of this game like it just got too ball bustingly hard for me and i don't know the discourse around like gating content behind super difficult challenges can get pretty ableist pretty quickly and i don't love that you know i don't have an unlimited time i'm not a teenager i'm not in school anymore yeah we're adults we're adults with real jobs (laughs) damn it i don't have time to do the same boss battle 30 times in a row we're grown-ass gamers i did 30 times on the watcher night sadly looking at you Sekiro. (laughs) god damn we're both we're both feeling that again it 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 was bad on this game but i think the portability of the switch also helped with that because i could slam it down and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I'd go upstairs and before bed, I could piss myself off one more time before I went to sleep by dying again. <laughs> well, and that's not to say like you, a game developer can't make a game that, you know, the normal mode is hard like this and, you know, maybe that's their vision and that's fine. But, you know, I would say maybe if that's the case, put some sort of easy mode on it or, you know, give some sort of concession to players that want to see all of your content and your beautiful artwork and music that you've developed. Artwork was beautiful in this game. Probably one of the best hand-drawn games I've seen since Dust. Agreed. And, but like I said, like I was saying, everyone wants to see all that stuff. They don't necessarily want to spend 50 hours doing it. So part of this gets to kind of like almost who games should be for 
And not to say like all games, but should there be some games for the hardcore audience? Is that okay? Or should there be concessions made in every game? I mean, Brian, you're the big Dark Souls fan out of all three of us. You've gone through the game twice now, I think. Well, more than that. But um, I don't want to say there's not value in the fact that the game puts a challenge before you, but I don't think it would be diminished by them saying, here's the game as it should be experienced, and here's some tweaks you can do if you're particularly stuck. Like, give yourself, you know, plus two healing items or for this fight or something like that. You know, like, if you're just slamming your head against a boss for hours and hours and hours and hours, I don't think you're missing out on anything by allowing the player to tweak things. And this is why I want us to play Celeste, because I think it did such a beautiful job of this. You know, it didn't make a big deal of it. It just added some extra options in there for... If someone wasn't, you know, wanting to spend a lot of time overcoming a particular challenge, they can adjust it in such a way that would make it still fun for them and it being able to surmount given challenge. See, for me, part of this is I see what you're saying, and I agree that, yes, there's games I want to experience the content for. I'm not necessarily here for the difficulty. But on the other hand, there's Iron Man modes and roguelikes where I think like permadeath, which is definitely not a casual friendly kind of option for your game. Um, but having that permadeath changes how you play and what you feel when you're playing it. Yep. They have that in this game too, by the way, this isn't the game for it. I mean, yeah, make yourself hardcore, get that achievement, go for it. But this isn't a game that's designed around dying early and often. So maybe what we're saying is allow yourself to give challenges. Maybe don't gate stuff with difficulty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, don't, I, I think I'm coming down on the side of not gating with difficulty. Plus, where's that? I want that bitch out button. I've done this enough times. Put a dunce hat on me. I don't care. Just let me finish <laughs> the game. We could, we talked about this. The I get it button. Yeah. If your game needs an, an I get it button, then you failed in design. An like, I get it I button. know what I need to do here. All that's remaining is execution. I get it. I get what you're trying to tell me. Let me pass this fucking obstacle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, we touched on somewhere in the course of that long rambling discourse the fact that the sound design in this game is absolutely amazing. The music is fantastic, um, performed by Christopher Larkin, uh, and he did a really fantastic job on this soundtrack. Uh, I think, you know, it's mostly pianos and strings, but it really, like, set the mood, and I think it really went places. Like, it's more melodic than I thought it was upon listening back. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It really... It, it, you almost didn't even hear it when you were playing it because it just fit in so well with the world. And it, it was like the one thing that set the tone too. Like this is such an understated game and you get most, like everything else, the story and everything else, it just kind of comes out of the background. The way this soundtrack kind of played into it was just great. 
you know what I kind of wish they had as an option on Steam? You can buy this game, or you can buy this game with the soundtrack as a bundle and save some money doing that. I wish they had the option where after you buy the game, you can buy the soundtrack, because if you've never played this before, if it's just some random game, you don't know if the soundtrack's good or not. So I never end up doing that, and then I have to go, like, for Undertale or for this game, I have to buy the soundtrack full price. Gripe, gripe, gripe. Or, for instance, if you have to edit a podcast about it and really want that soundtrack downloaded on your PC. <laughs> All right, Zeb, complain about it some more. <laughs> no, but it is it is a super good soundtrack. And not only soundtrack, but the sound design, like hearing the map guy hum as you approach him was always like an indicator that you were nearby him. You're close. It's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. And all of the different boss auto audio tells were among the the tells that they had not just the the visual ones it's well designed yep i agree good music good sound design good art are great examples of all of those not just good all right i think we're ready for some three-word reviews over here so my own three-word review here would be dust and darkness i was very drawn into this game's atmosphere the souls-like part of it really appealed to me. I've only gotten maybe eight or nine hours into Dark Souls, and then I gave up. We'll be doing it for a book club sooner or later, so I'll come back to it. But the difficulty there was more frustrating over here than this one, but this carried over a lot of the things I loved about the atmosphere of Dark Souls, that whole Fallen Kingdom thing. Um, There's dust everywhere, and there's darkness on top of that. And it's a thematic review, but it's my own three-word review. All right, uh, my three-word review is nothing is given, uh, because as we talked about in this game, uh, literally everything requires effort or investment on the part of the player, from whether it's mapping out an area, to exploring, to equipping the charm to allow your character to appear on your map. Uh, You basically start off with no abilities besides swinging your sword, and by the end of the game, you are able to take back a bunch of power, a bunch of influence, and ability to traverse the world. While nothing is given in Hollow Knight, a lot is taken by the player. Thank you, LeBron James. (laughs) Uh, So my three-word review was uh, nothing hollow here. So for for a game that was created by like two or three guys that cost you 15 bucks on, uh, on, on the Switch... This was probably one of the most robust and full-featured games I've played in a long time. And the crazy thing is they just keep adding more. Like, they just won't stop. They're so in love with their project that they just can't stop. And they keep giving it away for free, too, which is amazing. Uh, They had another DLC that was going to come out that just got so big that they turned it into a whole other game. And anybody that kickstarted it gets it for free. Like, they just want everybody to play this game. Their passion really shows. and, And I love what they did with it. A uh, quick worth uh, thing worth mentioning is I think there's been four major contact content packs released since the game was first came out, and they've all added significant boss battles and new abilities and charms and things like that. So yep, it's all been free. Good job, Team Cherry. Yep, yeah, good job, Team Cherry. And you know, guys, I love this game, but it was full of bugs. Oh, yep. <laughs> I was worried that there'd be bug puns, and there they are at the end. Was that a three-word review that did not quite make it full of bugs? It it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, For next month's game, we will be playing The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. A short one. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh yeah, very light, breezy game. Honestly, though, uh, this is a game that needs no introduction. It's basically the game that made the Nintendo Switch, and unless you've been living under a rock lately, you've probably at least heard of it in some way, shape, or form. Yep. So buckle up. We're gonna battle scaly creatures, scale rocky mountains, and make mountains out of dubious food. I'm gonna ride a shield. <laughs> Clint wrote a shield. <laughs> I did. Josh killed a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time. I'm Brian Skershaw. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. Bugs life sucks, goddammit. <laughs> it's a bug's life for us. Nasty, um, prudish, and short. It sucks down here, now die. <laughs> I just thought it'd be funny if you do all the stuff down there and then you come to the surface and a guy just steps on you. The end. <laughs> <laughs>